destiny is the reason why someone would want to run into the future with all of the confidence, all of the passion, all of the trust. And here's another testimonial. Date with destiny unleashed everything inside of me. Now I know the tools I need to move forward. I am stronger, and there is a future for me better than anything I could ever imagine. Those statements are what are powerful testimonies about a very popular motivational speaker's conference, six days, and the conference is entitled Date with Destiny, and people are signing up to go to this six-day conference. And so popular and successful is it that people are willing to pay between $4,495 all the way up to the, the premium seats at $7,995 to be taught how to achieve this. Here's the promise of the conference. Discover your destiny within, that destiny that is within you. Well, is discovering the destiny that is within us that might cause us to want to run confidently into the future really all that great of a destiny to discover that would cause us to want to run with confidence and trust into the future? Is that destiny within that we might discover at a conference like this really the destiny that, that moves us to get up every morning and face the day with boldness and confidence and trust? And I would suggest to you that a destiny that is discovered that comes from within us is not a destiny at all that is very much of a promise. In fact, it is a destiny that is destined to be a failure. But God's promise to us is so much better than this popular motivational speaker's seminar, six, day, six days of discovering the destiny that is within. Because God says your destiny is a destiny from without. It is the destiny that is from my sovereign hand. It is a destiny that is according to my sovereign will. It is a destiny that is from without of you, that is given to you by me. A destiny that is both secured and sealed. And listen to this destiny in Ephesians chapter 1 and verses 11 through 14. In him we have obtained an inheritance, having been predestined according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will, so that we who were the first to hope in Christ might be to the praise of his glory. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and believed in him, were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit, who is the guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it to the praise of his glory. Did you hear your destiny there? Let's pray. God, our Father, 
we so desperately want to know that our life counts. We so desperately want to understand why we are on the face of this earth and every human being that has ever lived and that even lives today and will live after we are long gone until eternity breaks forth wants to know their purpose. And Father, you have encouraged us with showing us our purpose and showing us a destiny, your destiny for us, that we would know that we are people of destiny, a destiny that is not from within, a destiny that is from you. And God, I pray that you would encourage our hearts this morning with these realities. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. This message today is, is the, the third reason the Apostle Paul gives in Ephesians chapter 1, verses 3 through 14, very long sentence, to bless God. You may recall the first reason he gives in, in this passage of Scripture to bless God is that God sovereignly, the Father sovereignly, elects those whom he will unite to Christ, so divine election. And the second reason that Paul tells the the people of Ephesus and us today as the faithful saints to bless God is what we looked at last week, that the will of God, his, his sovereign plan to redeem a number from sinful humanity, to choose them to be saved, to be redeemed, that he that is accomplished through the work of the Son. And so is salvation ordained and salvation accomplished in Christ Jesus. So last week we looked at the second reason God's people should bless Him. And today is the third reason we bless God because of the application of all that Christ did for us, and it's the Holy Spirit that applies the work of redemption to the people of God. He secures them in, in that redemption, and He seals them or guarantees that they are heirs of God with an inheritance in heaven. And so we really want to look at two things today with regards to this third reason to bless God. It's this, a secured destiny and a sealed destiny. And you'll find both of those listed on page five of your sermon outline. Well, let's look at this secured destiny. If a coach wants to inspire his team, he speaks in term, terms of the team being a team of destiny. You know, that title is out there for us, and we are destined to have it. It really is inspiring, isn't it? And the Apostle Paul is doing the same thing with you and me today to inspire us because of this great destiny that has been given to us as an heir of salvation. The Father has purposed it. The Son has accomplished it. And the Holy Spirit applies, applies it, secures it, and He guarantees it for us. So we're a people of destiny. So what is our destiny? Our destiny is this. We are heirs. 
with an inheritance. That's really what we find in verse 11 of Ephesians chapter 1. And the point that I really want to emphasize today is that this destiny is fixed. It is secured. It's not a destiny that is from within that is subject to our limitations, that is subject to our frailty, that is subject to all of the uncertainty in the day and in the future days to come. It's a destiny that is secured and fixed. We want to explore that today. Listen to what Paul says, that we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined, verse 11, the first part of verse 11. You know, when you, if you were to look at an order that, that, that a judge would sign that would bring to conclusion an adoption, it would be a legal document that would say, these parents have adopted this child, and it's signed, sealed, and delivered. You would find somewhere in all of that legal jargon, which is really with regards to an adoption, a glorious, uh, glorious legal jargon because of how precious is this this declaration that, that this judge is able to make, this child is now adopted by these parents. And you'll find in most adoption orders a statement that basically says this, the adopted child has every right to an inheritance as a natural-born child. In other words, in the eyes of the law, that adopted child is absolutely no different than the natural-born child in every respect. What a glorious reality that is for adoptive parents and for adopted children. And what a glorious reality that is for you and me who are the adopted children of God. Remember back in verse 5, when we looked at the, looked at the first reason to bless God, there in verse 5, we, we learn from the Apostle Paul that we are predestined to be adopted. The great plan of God is to ordain that we would be his adopted children. And today the Apostle Paul picks up on that as we learn that we are the adopted children and we are the heirs of God. And as heirs of God, just like every other adopted child, we have an inheritance This is why the Apostle Paul is able to say that we are joint heirs with Christ. If you ever have a bad day and you're just down in the dumps, think about that label for you and me. We are joint heirs. We're adopted. And Christ is the natural son but we have his inheritance. We share in it. And that should be enough, really, to lift us out of the gloom and the despair as we think about this destiny. Well, what is the inheritance? I have worked myself to death to leave something to my children, right? That's what we all do. Parents work and they build an estate in hopes that when they die, they're able to leave, leave that inheritance to their children. And that's just the natural course of things, right? Of course, by the time I uh, 
they closed the lid of the coffin on me as, as one of my, my beloved friends that's now with the Lord once said, I may be waving my last dollar. No inheritance. Sorry, Jess. <laughs> but it's kind of the course of things, right? I want you to think about this from a spiritual point of view. What did we study last week? Jesus worked. And his work accomplished redemption for us. And think about the fact that God began, or Paul began this section, verse 3, saying that you have every spiritual blessing in Christ Jesus. So what I want us to think about in terms of this inheritance is that all of the saving benefits of Christ is our inheritance. Every spiritual blessing in Christ is our inheritance. Every promise in the Bible is our inheritance. We are heirs of salvation. All that Jesus has accomplished, all of the promises that have been made on our behalf, they're all ours. And I would challenge myself and I would challenge you to just look at the Scripture and start listing out all of the promises, all of the blessings justification, adoption, sanctification, glorification, all of these benefits of Christ. List them out and you'll begin to see, wow, what an estate has been left for us. And it's not only a, we're people of destiny with an unbelievable ultimate inheritance, but it's a purposed inheritance. Listen to what Paul says in verse 11, the second part of verse 11, that, that we, we're, we're heirs, we're made heirs according to the purpose of him who works all things according to the counsel of his will. Well, what is my purpose in life? I think, as I said, even in the prayer today, that most people, I would say probably every person that's ever lived, wants to know that... that that their lives count. I want to know that my life counts. You know, what is my purpose? What gets me up in the morning uh, to face today? And I believe that very innate desire within every human being is why these motivational speakers and their conferences are so popular today. Because those inside Christ, those outside of Christ, doesn't matter. We want to know what is our purpose? What is our destiny? But today I want us to think, because I think Paul really corrects something here. I want us to think in terms of this destiny, my purpose not being my purpose, not being something that is within me. But it is the purpose that God has placed upon me. It is His purpose for me. It's a purpose that transcends me. It's a purpose that transcends space and time. It's a purpose that God has set in eternity past in the heavenly realm. It is a purpose that is not subject to decay and time and all of the uncertainty. It's a purpose that is set and fixed. It is God's purpose for me. And because it's God's purpose for me, nothing can thwart it. Nothing can thwart His plan. I don't know about you, but most of the things that I purpose to do get thwarted by something. Well, not this purpose. Nothing can change it. 
Well, come on, doesn't that get you excited? I'm not talking about that other church's purpose. I'm not talking about that other Christian's purpose. I'm talking about God's purpose for you and God's purpose for me. And remember the context of this is blessing God, praising Him, rejoicing in Him. The Father has ordained this purpose, this destiny for me. The Son has accomplished everything necessary for this purpose and destiny to be mine. And God the Holy Spirit has secured it for me, has applied it to me, and we'll see in just a moment, has sealed it. I want you to think just for a moment of a bricklayer. I love watching bricklayers. Have you ever seen a bricklayer lay a brick wall? There's a rhythm to it. I mean, I love watching a good bricklayer. And he just, there's a pile of bricks there, and he reaches in, grabs a brick, slops the mud or the mortar on it, and just puts it on the wall. He's just, I don't have that much rhythm, but boy, if I did, I could be a great bricklayer. But see, God is kind of like a bricklayer, but he's not like a bricklayer. God just doesn't reach into a pile and just pick a brick and slap some mud on it and put it on the wall, i.e. as he builds his church. He specifically chooses a particular brick. And he takes that brick and he places it in a particular place. And here's the point I want to make. That God has ordained, he has purposed that you are his child. And he has placed you where you are particularly, specifically. In fact, we, we may say that he's not only purposed you to be his adopted child, he's purposed you to be his adopted child in this point in time, at this place, in the relationships that you are in, with the gifts and abilities that he has given to you in this church facing the issues that you face. He has purposed every single aspect of your life as if you were the only created human being he had ever created. Think about that. Try to think about that. That's how glorious, that's how great, that's how loving, that's how purposeful, that's how intentional God is. You're a brick. But you're not just any brick, you're God's brick. And he has chosen you, a single brick, and strategically placed you in that which he is building. So when you get up every morning, and you think about your destiny, you think about your purpose, you think about this, God has purposed my destiny, he has purposed every step that I take, it's all working towards me realizing that ultimate destiny one day. And I really can run into the future with confidence, with passion, trusting Him and His purposes. And this is a hopeful destiny. Verse 12, we're the first to hope in Christ. He's not saying, Paul is not saying that the Jewish Christians were the first to hope in Christ. He's saying that 
that all of the believers there in Ephesus, that was the first generation of the church organized to hope in Christ. And we're heirs of that, spiritual heirs of that first generation. And so the point is this, that as the original hearers of this word were called the first to hope in Christ, Paul is saying the same thing to you and me today as, as spiritual heirs down through the generations of those who have been united to Christ, we are the first to hope. In other words, our destiny is a hopeful destiny. We hope. And hope is not just wishful thinking. Hope is based on realities. We hope. We're able to rest in Christ, in His present work. We're able to rest in Christ for all of the future promises that we have. Our destiny drips with hope. And listen to Peter's words in Peter, 1 Peter 1. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to His great mercy, He has caused us to be born again, listen to this, to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time. You believe in Him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. And Peter, as well as Paul, reminds us that our destiny is a glorious destiny. It's not our glory, but it's God's glory. Look at the end of verse 12. This destiny is to the praise of His glory. And what I I want us to see here is that our destiny as an heir of salvation is so secured and certain that God has made His glory contingent upon our receiving it. Think about that for a moment. It should cause us to well up with hope and joy and confidence in God. This secure destiny is not only promised, given to encourage us. It's accomplished by God. It's also guaranteed by God. All right, so you borrow money from someone, and you need to pay them back, right? And so you write out on a little piece of paper, I owe you. And that I owe you is your pledge to repay that uh, benefactor. And so you, you sign it, and you hand them that piece of paper. Well, I want to suggest to you today that, that this passage of Scripture that we're dealing with is God's I-O-U to us. It's God the Holy Spirit being that I-O-U. You that pledge 
that God has made on his people. What God purposes, he guarantees, he seals. And that's what we want to turn to now as we look at the second point of your sermon outline. And the first thing I want us to consider is the sealer, the one who seals, the one who is the pledge. And the text tells us it's the Holy Spirit. He seals us. So I just want to very, very quickly, just in this broad brush fashion, talk a little bit about who is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the third member of the Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, fully God, third member of the Trinity. He is the promised Holy Spirit, the passage that that Carl read earlier was an Old Testament promise of the Holy Spirit being poured out that we see realized there at at Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. We also see the Holy Spirit promised in John 16 and in Acts uh, chapter 1. And even in verse 13, it speaks of the promised Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the indwelling Spirit. Those who have saving faith have the Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the paraclete as he's called in Scripture, the helper, the counselor. The Holy Spirit is the illuminator of Scripture for God's people. John 14 and John 16. The Holy Spirit is the liberator of of the oppressed. Look to Romans chapter 8, verses 1 through 13. There Paul describes the Holy Spirit applying the redeeming work of Christ and setting us free from condemnation. Working in our lives, the Holy Spirit is the spirit of adoption that we read just further in Romans chapter 8, verses 15 and 16. The Holy Spirit is the source of spiritual fruit, Galatians 5. The Holy Spirit is the power of sanctification, that wonderful prayer in Ephesians chapter 3. And the Holy Spirit is the giver of spiritual gifts. Just a few statements from Scripture that help us understand the work of the Holy Spirit. Spirit. But in verse 13, we find three particular aspects of the work of the Spirit. And I want to just briefly talk about them. Now, first, Paul states this that when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and I believe this points to the Holy Spirit as the regenerator of the elect. As we read from Titus chapter 3, verses 5 through 6, the assurance of pardon that that the Holy Spirit gives us a new nature, washes us, gives us the ability to understand our need and the Savior. And then secondly, the Apostle Paul speaks of that we believed in Him. So we, we, we see the Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the gift of both repentance and faith. And then thirdly, we find the Holy Spirit is the one who seals us. We are sealed, Paul says, with the promised Holy Spirit. Well, what is this work of sealing? You know, I've told this story before, but when I was in seminary, I took a biblical archaeology class. My professor was the assistant curator of the Harvard Semitic Museum, and one night our whole class was able to go down into the basement of the Harvard Semitic Museum in Boston to one of the, one of the finest world-class research facilities. And there we held objects, one-of-a-kind objects from antiquity. And I remember holding a signet and a cord. It was a cylindrical stone 
small cylindrical stone thing that you could roll that had an image carved on it that was a unique image for an individual, probably that dated before the time of King David. And so I was holding it, <laughs> shaking. Remember Judah and Tamar, that as a pledge, and I'm not going to go into the whole story about Judah and Tamar, but Judah left his signet and cord with Tamar as a, and his staff as a pledge. And so in antiquity, this was a person's signature. It's what authenticated a document or a letter that it really was from them. It was a seal that guaranteed the validity of a document or this letter. And the Holy Spirit operates similarly for you and me as our seal uh, authenticating us as the children of God with an inheritance. In verse 14, the Apostle Paul further states the meaning of this sealing where he says, as a guarantee of our inheritance until we acquire possession of it. And here the Apostle Paul, meaning by when we possess, uh, acquire possession of it, is referring to the fact that we have it now but not in full and one day we will have all of the promises of God in this inheritance in full. Think of it like this. As one commentator said, the Holy Spirit is our first installment on receiving this promise. We've not realized it in full, but one day we will. And like with the securing of this destiny, the sealing of it is a glorious sealing as well. The text ends, the end of verse 14, all of this is the praise of His glory. Secured and sealed is our destiny. Well, I have a painting and invite you to stop by my office and look at it. And it's a, it's a reprint, but it's a G. Harvey reprint. reprint. And it, it pictures what looks like a father and his son out in this river fly fishing, which is dear to my heart. And the title of this G. Harvey reprint is In the Father's Presence. Now, a certificate of authenticity came with this painting. And there was a limited number of these things reprinted. And I have, this is guaranteed that I have, number 586. I've got the certificate of authenticity taped to the back of this painting. And that means something very special to me. And what I want us to consider this is the Holy Spirit operates very much like that certificate of authenticity that validates the fact that we are in the Father's presence now and forevermore. We're in the Father's presence now and forevermore because He has purposed to make us heirs with an inheritance that we have today but will have in full one day when, when we are with Him in heaven. And I just simply want to ask you this question. Does that make any difference in how you live your life today? Think about that. 
when I go to bed and when I arise in the morning, when I go about serving the Lord in ministry and find joy there, when I count all lost for the sake of knowing Christ, when I take up my cross and follow after Jesus, sacrificing, when the spiritual dryness comes, when the loneliness besets me, when the doubt seems to be overtaking me, when the unjust criticism so discourages me, when the temptation to sin and the struggle while sinning seems to all but undo me, when the broken relationships seem to be one after another, when I begin to fear about the future, when life comes, good and bad, we are secured and sealed in this. I am in my Father's presence. I am my Father's child now and forevermore. Does that really make a difference in your life? Is that something to meditate upon and get up in the morning and run into the day with confidence, with passion, trusting our Heavenly Father. You know, I spoke about the IOU. I owe you. I pledge to repay you. Well, this IOU is not I pledge to repay you. This IOU is based on the fact that all the payments already been made. Jesus has paid it all. But God's IOU that we have here in this text is not I owe you. It is God saying I own you. Listen to these words from the prophet. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. Listen, God says, listen. You are mine. That's our life. That's our destiny. That's our purpose I am reminded of those individuals that gave those glaring testimonials about Tony Robbins Day of Destiny seminar and a destiny that is within is destined to fail and if people can testify to something that is destined to fail, how much more should we testify to the glorious destiny that we have secured and sealed by God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit? Let us pray. Our Father in heaven, we thank you for your good and gracious work in our lives. We thank you, Heavenly Father, for this ultimate destiny. We thank you, Heavenly Father, that you have purposed it 
and that you have secured it and that you have sealed it, guaranteed by the fact that we are indwelled with the Holy Spirit. And I pray, Lord, that every minute of every day that we would live in the reality that we would consciously remember that we would intentionally live in the reality that we are in your presence, that you own us, that we are a people of destiny. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen.